Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com slash Shapiro. That's CarShield.com slash Shapiro. Whenever Halloween comes around, usually sometime in October, someone is sure to turn to me and say, Andrew, and I'll say yes, and they'll say what? And I'll say, didn't you just say something? And they'll say, did I? I, I don't remember. And this conversation goes on like this for a long time. But maybe you don't want to hear about all that. So I'll just skip to the part where the person finally says, oh, yeah, now I remember what I was going to say. I was going to ask you, what is the scariest Halloween movie you've ever seen? And I tell them this. The scariest Halloween movie I've ever seen is called It's a Good Thing. It starts when a midsize American city is set upon by rioting hordes of criminals. They attack the police. They loot stores. They burn buildings and mug innocent people. But everyone in the city smiles and just says, it's a good thing. Now there's one man, our hero, who isn't with the crowd. He objects. He says, how can it be a good thing when everyone's so violent? But the people just keep smiling and they say, well, they're mostly peaceful, so it's a good thing. And our hero says, but my business has been reduced to ashes. And the people smile glassy-eyed and they say, Yes, but it's social justice, so it's a good thing. And this bizarre, eerie state of affairs continues until finally the hero works up his courage and says, No, you're all lying. These are horrible, thuggish, criminal punks destroying our city. And everyone says, Ooh, you're a racist. And they crowd around him and beat him into unconsciousness. When he wakes up, he's in a hospital and he looks out the window and the city is completely in flames. All the criminals are free and the police are gone. Crazy people are lying homeless in the street. Mothers are ripping the children out of their bodies. And our hero just smiles and says, ah, now I see it's a good thing. And he votes Democrat. <laughs> Terrifying. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right. Happy Halloween. If you think that's terrifying, the Clavenless Weekend is coming up at the end of this show. So squeeze out every ounce of Clavenly goodness you can. And one way to do that is to subscribe to my YouTube channel, the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. It's my personal YouTube channel where you get all my content. If you ring that bell, 
I will actually, you'll open a closet one day and I'll just be standing there and hand you content. And if you leave a comment and it's sufficiently racist, sexist, hateful, fascist, uh, you know, it'll fit right in with the rest of the show and we will read it on the air. Today, uh, we have a comment from Ramon Cruz. Not the guy who killed Kennedy. Oh, no, it's Rafael Cruz. I'm sorry. Ted Cruz's father. I get all these assassins mixed up. Ramon Cruz says, Clavin says he has a black belt in karate, but we all know that he's a master of Klav Maga. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Uh, <laughs> we'll steal that. Uh, all right. Halloween is coming. And you know what's really scary? The thought of going down to the post office and standing online with a bunch of people wearing masks and sneezing. You don't want to do that. You want the post office. You love the post office, but you want the post office where everything else is in your computer. That's why there's stamps.com. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS too, right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller fulfilling orders during the record-setting holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, or just a guy who wants to send out some Halloween cards, stamps.com can do it all. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my promo code Claven, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Claven. That's stamps.com. Enter Claven, stamps.com. You never have to go to the post office again if, and only if, you know how to spell Claven, but how you say how? How do I spell Claven? It's K L A V A N. That's what I wanted to say. There's a wonderful passage in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, it goes like this There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maid. What I've always loved about this is the willing sense of mystery, the idea that there are some things that if you explain them, you actually end up knowing less than if you just look on and wonder. Now, I've reached an age where there's very little in life that surprises me anymore, but there are many things that remain mysteries. Certainly the way of a man with a maid is one of them, but another is the willingness, the willingness with which fools seem content to go on being foolish and how many fools there are. Gaining wisdom is not only one of the joys of life, it's one of the compensations of getting older. But you can't gain wisdom unless you learn from your mistakes and admit your mistakes and change. If you just spent three years reporting on Russian collusion only to find out that all your sources were playing you like a fiddle, if you just spent your whole life claiming that no peace could come to the Middle East without a solution to the Palestinian question only to find that, yeah, it actually could. Don't you change your mind? Don't you start to get some fresh information, reset your bearings, start to listen to different people, try to become wiser so you don't make the same mistakes over and over and over again until you're either stuck in a kind of repetitive living hell or working for the New York Times. But I repeat myself. More importantly, if you're listening to these people, if you're reading the New York Times and you start to realize you're being lied to again and again and again, don't you stop? Apparently not. Apparently, no amount of error is enough to induce some people to seek new information, to seek wisdom, or to seek change. And given the fact that that sort of stubbornness and dishonesty will deprive you of one of the greatest joys in life and one of the purposes in life, it is amazing to me, even more amazing than the way of a man with a maid. 
or even finding a woman who's still a maid, which at this point would be even more amazing. Now, the story that inspires me to talk about all this is this story about, do you remember back in the day in September 2018, the New York Times ran a story by Anonymous, and it was called, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. It was by Anonymous, and here's what the New York Times wrote in a heading at the top of this op-ed. The Times is taking the rare step of publishing an anonymous op-ed essay. We have done so at the request of the author, a senior official in the Trump administration whose identity is known to us and whose job would be jeopardized by its disclosure. An anonymous wrote, this senior official wrote, many of the senior officials in the Trump administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda. I would know I am one of them. Uh, he said that Trump was so Im- um, amoral and erratic that they had to work to thwart his goals and even talked about, you know, uh, forcing him out of office through the 25th Amendment. And all kinds of people were writing about this. This was a, was a big deal because how what kind of senior official would be thwarting the Trump administration? Uh, they were saying, but maybe it's Kellyanne Conway, maybe it's John Kelly, Jeff Sessions, James Mattis, uh, you know, Jared Kushner. They said it might be Ivanka Trump. They're all talking to all kinds of people. Somebody uh, said it might be Melania Trump. Donald Trump Jr. Here's a news story they did about Donald Trump Jr. when he said, that's eh, probably some low-level nobody. This cut one. I imagine this is a very low-level person. Donald Trump Jr. is crying betrayal, slamming the anonymous senior Trump administration official who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times claiming to be part of the resistance inside the White House. It's pretty disgusting. That's pretty sad. Perhaps it's a disgruntled person who's been thrown out because they didn't deliver on what they were supposed to do. What's the crime, though? Listen, I think you're subverting the will of the people. I mean, to try to control the presidency while not the president. You have millions and millions of Americans who voted for this. And Trump Jr. says it's all made his father more isolated in the Oval Office. I think there are people in there that he can trust. It's just, it's a much smaller group. So he says at the very beginning of that, he says, I think it's a nobody. He turns out he was exactly right. It was a guy named Miles Taylor, a policy advisor, basically a guy who gets coffee. He's a gopher at the Department of Homeland Security. Now, by the time he left, okay, by the time he left, He was the chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security, a position that no one even knew existed. I mean, that's not that's not an important position, but at least he had been elevated to the chief of staff. So he had a title. But when he wrote the piece, he was just like a gopher. He was nobody. Okay, so now he's come out. He's been revealed as Miles. This guy, Miles Taylor. His name is Miles Taylor, and he was just a nobody. And. The New York Times now has a heading on the piece. When you go back and find the piece, their heading now says this. On October 28th, 2020, which is yesterday, Miles Taylor, who left his position as chief of staff in the Department of Homeless Security, made public his authorship of this article. While the Times has a strict policy of protecting his sources, in this case, he personally waived our agreement to keep his identity confidential. We can confirm that he is the author. Now, notice how they identify him. Miles Taylor, who left his position as chief of staff in the Department of Homeland Security, but they don't mention that he was nothing like that. He didn't have any kind of title. He was just, he was literally like uh, the guy, uh, you know, hey, uh, could you uh, could you run down to the deli and get me like a ham sandwich? You know, he was a policy advisor. He was like nobody. The home- Homeland Security has listed the people they consider senior officials He's not one of them. So they lied when they told us he was a senior official. They covered the lie when they tell us who it was by telling us what his making his position sound more senior than it was when he wrote the piece. Right. And 
and people are still going back and say, well, I wonder what's in the New York Times today. I wonder, you know, what are the anonymous sources from the intelligence uh, say, saying about Trump and Russian collusion today? He lied to CNN at the time. He told CNN he was not the guy. And now CNN is keeping him on as a commentator. He was on Chris Cuomo. Here's what he said. This is five. Cut five. I think the president will feel completely emboldened to pursue not just these almost Nazi-like immigration policies. I don't say that lightly. That's a pretty harsh term to levy against the president, but that's really where they want to go, is turn uh, this country into Fortress America rather than a shining city on a hill. But worse still for me, as a lifelong national security professional, is I believe the president is going to sell out our allies and befriend our enemies and put this country in danger. So this is a guy who lied to them, he barefaced lied to them. They've still, they're not firing him. They're not st- taking away his, uh, his spokesman rights, his commentator rights. The best of all possible Mollies, Molly Hemingway at The Federalist, wrote a piece about this, and she quotes a statement by Acting Secretary Chad Wolf at Department of DHS, right? He says, having worked with Mr. Taylor on the president's immigration and counterterrorism policy agenda, I can attest that Miles Taylor never vocalized disagreement with the president's policies and, in fact, expressed strong support. So Trump's a Nazi and this guy was helping him out. And just think about this for a minute. Think about all the anonymous sources that we have heard from all this time, all the high level intelligence sources, 12 high level intelligence sources who told us Trump was colluding with Russia turned out not to be true. It is stunning to me that anyone ever picks up the New York Times ever again and says, oh, that's the news. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. How it's like it's like, please, New York Times, lie more. So while we're talking about lying, we have to talk about the tech people, the Twitter people, the social media people who are suppressing information. Now, if you go back and listen to my shows, I told you this was going to happen. You always get tomorrow's news today. I told you uh, over a year ago that these guys were going to go nuts as the election came near and you'd be lucky to get anything like the news. Just by the way, before I even get into this too deeply, I just want to point out that the economy, the U.S. economy grew at a an amazing record-shattering pace in the third quarter of this year uh, as businesses started to reopen. It surged by 33.1%. The last record uh, was right was uh, in 1950, 16.7. So this is almost twice. This is almost twice the record. Now, still in a recession. Obviously, we took this big hit with the virus and all this stuff. But still, that is pretty amazing. And that is incredibly good news. And it shows you that Trump... When Trump said there's going to be a V-shaped recovery, it looks it's starting to look like he was right. And, you know, he's right about something else, too. He's right about the fact that one of the things that gives him credence, even with all his flaws and all his silliness, one of the things that gives him a lot of credence is his enemy. This is cut eight, what Trump says he's doing here. I'm not just running against Joe Biden. I'm running against the left wing mob and the left wing media, the big tech giants. And I'm also running against the rhinos. Do you know what a rhino is? A rhino may be the lowest form of human life. (laughs) So so he's running against the tech giants and the mob and the media. And that is just absolutely true. I mean, we've been watching, you know, 
This Hunter Biden story with the laptops, I I keep saying this is not the biggest story in the world. This is not. There's no evidence so far that Joe Biden collected money from foreign powers. We just kind of know we've always known that Hunter Biden has been out there influence peddling, using his name. Now we know that Biden lied. I I think this is pretty reliable information. Biden lied when he said he never talked to him about this. He had nothing to do with it. You know, he he clearly was involved and he clearly got involved after he was uh, in office. But still, it's it's still just it speaks to the kind of person he has always been. He has always been a venal person. He has never been a principled person. He's been dishonest. He's plagiarized. He's been forced out of presidential races because of plagiarism. This is just something that's been true of him. And we've seen him. He's on video lying again and again and again. I never said I was going to ban fracking. I never said I was going to cut programs. You know, he has done this again and again. He lies like a kid when he's caught with his hand in the cookie jar. You know, he just says, no, I didn't do it, even if there's video of this. And so this this story goes on. Tucker Carlson was saying he's some some of the documents that he wanted. He said they were damning confidential documents and he had them sent out to himself. I guess FedExed out. He didn't name the company, but he had it sent out, overnighted out to uh, L.A. where he was working. The envelope was ripped open. The documents were stolen. Uh, This is what he says. He says he can't find it. He says it's not the company that did it, but they're looking into it and they can't find it. It's, you know, it's a it's a strange story. And tech is sitting on this. You know, I mean, tech has been sitting on this this morning. I think it was just this morning. Twitter suspended the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol for celebrating the wall that is being built. Trump has amped up the building of the wall, probably for the election, but he's getting more miles of the wall built. And he tweeted, walls work. Every mile helps us stop gang members, murderers, sexual predators, and drugs from entering our country. This is the head of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, Mark Morgan, and Twitter suspended him. Uh, this is, I mean, Jack Dorsey of Twitter is the enemy of free speech. This is, I, I will say this again because I, I want to emphasize this I, because if you haven't heard me talk about this before, you need to hear me say this. People say these are private companies and they have the right to censor speech. They do not. They are a creation of the government. They are private companies, but their rights were created by the government. They were given these rights to curate uh, speech while not being sued. So they can curate speech like a publisher, but they don't get sued like a platform. So it's as if really the phone company is telling you, oh, you said that I'm, I'm cutting off your phone service because that was hateful. That's that's what it's like. And just remember, our right to free speech does not come from the government. It comes from God. You remember God. Last time we talked about him, right? He's the creator of the universe. He's the king of the universe. When he gives you something, it's yours. The First Amendment protects that God-given right from the government. But the government is there to protect that God-given right from everybody else. And when these guys get in the way and when these guys become the dominant way that we speak and they censor us, they should be tarred and feathered. Their business should be burned to the ground. The earth should be salted so that nothing ever grows there again. That is how you handle this. There is no compromise with your free speech. And again, as I pointed out, this is part of the a movement on the left to end the First Amendment. This is to undermine the First Amendment culture, which is the only way that the First Amendment means anything. The First Amendment is just ink on paper, and it's that crinkly brown paper that for some reason they wrote the Constitution on. I have no idea why they didn't just use white foolscap, but they didn't. They used this crinkly brown paper, and they wrote the Constitution on it. That's just ink on paper. It means nothing unless the majority of Americans just take it for granted that you have the right to free speech. And that is what the left has been undermining 
all these years, when I complain about the Academy, when I complain about the news media, when I complain about uh, you know, the entertainment media, that's what they've been undermining. While saying we have the right to free speech, they are also saying your speech is hateful and can and should be banned. And so Jack Dorsey, worst he's the worst of the lot because he's just, you know, take a look at him. Take a look at a picture of him. The way is, I, I, you know, it's really funny. Even before I saw Jack Dorsey had that beard, I was saying to my wife that anybody who wears a beard like that is either one Alexander Solzhenitsyn were too out of his mind. Jack Dorsey is not Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And I'm telling you that beards like that, like David Letterman's beard, it's a sign that something is not quite right. So they're called up before, what is it, the Commerce Committee in the Senate. And they keep calling him up, but they don't do anything about him. And you can just tell these guys are so rich and so powerful, they don't care. They probably think Trump's going to get thrown out of office. They probably think we're going to lose the Senate. That's what, you know, the polls show. Uh, Mitch McConnell says a 50-50 chance Republicans lose the Senate. The polls are all against Trump, even though we don't know whether they're, that's true or not. So they don't care. I mean, Dorsey is insouciant. That's the word. Look it up. Dorsey is insouciant. He just looks at these guys and lies under oath, doesn't care. And he says, you know, the problem is the problem is not that we're censoring people. The problem is that people just don't trust us. We have a trust issue. It's got 10. Section 230 gave Internet services two important tools. The first provides immunity from liability for users' content. The second provides good Samaritan protections for content moderation and removal even of constitutionally protected speech, as long as it's done in good faith. That concept of good faith is what's being challenged by many of you today. Some of you don't trust we're acting in good faith. That's the problem I want to focus on solving. How do services <laughs> like Twitter earn your trust? <laughs> Stop censoring us, jerk. <laughs> Stop making. They've changed the rules something like 26 times. They only censor the right and they censor anything that they don't like, anything that they think is going to hurt Joe Biden or help Donald Trump. They censor it. They mark it. They label it. And they say, why don't you trust us? Trust us. Look, trust us. It's, like, it's like some kind of Halloween comedy. You know, we can't. We need to earn your trust. Shut up. You know, we need to earn your trust while we're silencing you. All right. So so. The, the thing under question, I mean, they were subpoenaed before this happened, but they, they have shut down the New York Post's account for tweeting out what is now verified information about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the way they have interacted together. And he admits, Dorsey admits the story is not disinformation. This is cut 11. Do any of you have any, any inspiration whatsoever that they're not authentic or that they are Russian disinformation? Mr. Dorsey? We, we don't. You know, so so why would why would you censor it? Why did you prevent that from being disseminated on your platform that is supposed to be for the free expression of ideas and particularly true ideas? We believe to fell afoul of our hacking materials policy. And now he says, so why why won't you give them why won't you give them their account back? And this is Dorsey's comment. Cut 16. The New York Post is still blocked from tweeting two weeks later. Yes, they have to log into their account, which they can do at this minute, delete the original tweet, which fell under our original enforcement actions, and they can tweet the exact same material and the exact same article, and it would go through 
It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you can tell by the beard. He's Buffalo Bill. He's got them in the oubliette and he's not going to, you know, it, it takes out the tweet that offended us even though we were wrong to be, even though he's admitting they were wrong to censor them because it wasn't disinformation, but they did censor them. So the censorship stays and they're not letting him come back. Why? Because they don't want this story on Twitter. And, you know, it's interesting. The story is getting out about 50% of people have heard a lot about this story, but 50% haven't because no network is covering it. They've given it, you know, mere minutes of coverage. And again, the cover-up is worse than the crime only because it points out this make-believe world we're living in. We're living in a psyop, you know, we're living in this thing where these entire, these massive corporations, that's what they are. There's these massive corporations are lying to us and suppressing information. And, you know, it really is interesting because the left used to know that corporations are power centers that need to be controlled. But now that the the corporations are on their side, it is amazing to me that they call themselves the resistance. What are they resisting? They own social media. They own news media. They own entertainment media. They own the academies. They, they have the deep state. They own the deep state. Donald Trump is the one guy on our side, but they're the, somehow the resistance. They're complete conforms. Ted Cruz really went after him. Here's play uh, cut 19. Twitter takes the view. You can censor the New York Post. You can censor Politico. Presumably you can censor the New York Times or any other media outlet. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a Democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if they're going to follow it up and do anything. You know, my son, Spencer, no relation, was saying uh, last night, he was saying they should subpoena the algorithms. And so let us find out how they're running these things. But Dorsey just po-faced. I mean, he just sits there and he just, you know, they, they don't even have good tech. I mean, the guy is a tech giant. He doesn't even have a good camera on his thing He's because he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's too powerful. He's looking down these guys thinking like, eh, you know, you'll be gone. I'll erase you. I'm going to live forever. Look at my beard. I'll be here forever. Play cut 12. This is him and uh, Cruz again. Does Twitter have the ability to influence elections? No. You don't believe Twitter has any ability to influence elections? No, we are one part of a spectrum of communication channels that people have. So you're testified to this committee right now that, that, that Twitter, when it silences people, when it censors people, when it blocks political speech, that has no impact on elections? People, people have choice of other communication channels. <laughs> then Cruz said, so why are you censoring people if you're not having any effect? You know, Cruz, Cruz is a much better prosecutor than Kamala Harris, by the way. He does this a lot better than Kamala Harris does. And, and Dorsey just denies that they've, he denies things. He just denies that they've censored anybody. This cut 13. We haven't censored the president. Why did you deny that platform via censorship to the U.S. president? We haven't censored the U.S. president. Oh, yes, you have. How many posts from Iran's terrorist Ayatollah have you censored? Um, How many posts from Vladimir Putin have you censored? We have we have labeled tweets of world leaders. Uh, we have okay. a policy around not taking down the content, but simply adding more president. context around it. Okay. And the U.S. president, you have censored 65 times. This, this is true. Media Research Center 
says that they say 64 times. Maybe there's one since their report, but they have censored or labeled the president's tweets 64 to 65 times, 64, 65 times. So he's just lying. And when she asks about the Ayatollah of Iran, the Ayatollah of uh, Iran is tweeting that the Holocaust never happened. He's doing Holocaust denial and they don't censor that. This is a cut. What is it? A 15. Somebody denying the murder of millions of people uh, or instigating violence against a country as a head of state is not uh, categorically falling in any of those three misinformation or other categories Twitter has. Not misinformation, but we do have other policies around incitement to violence. So somebody denies the Holocaust has happened is not misinformation. It's it's misleading information, but we don't have a policy against that type of misleading information. <laughs> the Jews, you know, if it's against the Jews, we no, but that's not covered. The Jew, it says it's you got to read the small print. The Jews is written in very small letters. You know, you can say anything. You can't say anything false about Joe, Joe Biden, but the Jews, you can say. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, there's something wrong with them. There is something wrong with them. They're almost like sociopaths, you know. They they just don't care. Now, maybe maybe it's not a psychological thing. Maybe it is a moral thing. Maybe they've just gotten so rich and so powerful, and they have disdain for uh, anyone who disagrees with them because they're living. They think they're you know the, the world is basically a simulation. They've been living in tech so long they don't actually know what reality is anymore. So they just think that you know if, if I don't like this, I'll just press the button and Ted Cruz will disappear. I, you know, really, really tarred and feathered, burned to the ground, so earth salted. But at least, at least, if you won't go that far, at least change this 230 rule. That's the rule they keep talking about that allows them to curate information without taking the responsibility of a publisher. Because if they have the responsibility of a publisher, and every time somebody lies about me on Twitter, I can sue them. I can sue Twitter because you can sue a publisher for publishing false information because they have control over what comes over. The phone company doesn't have control over what you say. So if I lie about you during a phone call, you can't sue the phone company. That makes perfect sense. It makes no sense for them to be able to curate what people are saying, especially these are responsible people. Just They're just saying things that they don't like. When you say that the border wall is keeping out drugs and, and bad guys, that's just something they don't like. And if they censor that, they censor our head of the Border Patrol for that, but they don't censor the Ayatollah of Iran for saying there was no Holocaust. Clearly, they're operating in bad faith. But why don't you trust them? Some, some, I, we can't figure it out. Why don't you trust us? You know, just because we operate in bad faith. Here's Mike Lee asking Mark Zuckerberg if he can name, um, if he can name a s- single time they've censored, single person they've censored on the left. Cut two. Can you name for me one high-profile person or entity from a liberal ideology who you have censored and, and what particular action you took? Uh, Senator, <laughs> uh, I can get you a, a, a list of some more of this, but there are certainly many examples that do your, your Democratic colleagues um, object to when when um, you know, a checker might label something as false that they disagree with or um, they're yeah, not able yeah, to... I, I, I get that. I, I get that. I just want to be clear. I, I'm just asking you if you can name for me uh, uh, one high-profile liberal person or company who you've censored. I understand that the, the, uh, you're saying that there are complaints on both sides, but I just I just want one name of one person or one entity. Um, Senator, I need to I need to think about it and and and, and get you more of a list. I mean, the, the thing is, you can cut 
Zuckerberg some slack because he doesn't, you know, he's running this massive company. He doesn't know everything that's going on in the company. He's not in the in the office looking over people's shoulders. I'll cut him some slack there. But how many times has this guy appeared before Congress and said, yes, we must do better. I take full responsibility. We must do better. We must do And nothing changes. Nothing changes. How many times are they going to bring, you know, you talk about how many times you're going to let the New York Times lie to you as a reader. But how many times is the Senate, is Congress going to let these guys lie to them? Right. As politicians, because some of the the problem is, remember, Trump may not be in office after this year. We don't know. Right. So they're they're playing that game because the Democrats don't want to silence, don't want them to stop silencing the right at all. Why would they unless they had some kind of integrity? (laughs) We know that's not a problem. Here's Ed Markey, the guy who thinks that being an originalist of the Constitution means you're living in the 18th century. Here's him saying that, like, no, you're just not you're just not stomping on speech enough. This cut 17. The big tech business model, which puts profits ahead of people, is a real problem. Anti-conservative bias is not a problem. The issue is not that the companies before us today are taking too many posts down. The issue is that they're leaving too many dangerous posts up. In fact, they're amplifying harmful content so that it spreads like wildfire and tortures our democracy. And we know that harmful content to leftists is anything that disagrees with them. We know that. The New York Times basically says that every single day. How long are we going to let these guys lie to us? How long are we going to let all these guys, all these politicians and tech giants and CEOs and corporations lie to us and suppress the information that we need to decide how we, the people, want to run the country? You know, with the holiday season coming up, you want to get... Uh, your spouse, your loved ones, a gift that looks as if you put some thought into it, even if you didn't. It looks like something thoughtful, like you really care. You want to go to Paint Your Life. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift this holiday season, try PaintYourLife.com. You will get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Send any picture. Send a picture of yourself, your kids, family, a place, a cherished pet. Or, or you, you can even combine photos into one painting and they will get in touch with you. The painter, an actual painter, will get in touch with you and talk you through the process and deliver a really nice looking painting. I got one of myself just to test it out so I could recommend it to you. It really, really came out well. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can get 20% off your painting. off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Andrew to 64,000. That's Andrew to 64,000. Text Andrew to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. The election is coming up. You probably had forgotten all about it. You're probably thinking of other things, but no, here it is. The presidential election is almost here. First, there's Halloween. And then there's the scary part is the uh, election. And we have an amazing day of programming for you. Our live stream starts on Tuesday, November 3rd and runs through March 14th. <laughs> I'll just be sitting there until they finish counting the votes. It starts Tuesday, November 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. in the real world out here in the Pacific. Uh, features special guests, live interviews, and more leading up to a very special episode of Backstage where we will be covering the results with you in real time. And you can now join Daily Wire and get 25% off with code ELECTION. 25% off with code ELECTION. And then you can watch our coverage live on Apple TV or on our Apple TV or Roku app. So you won't feel like, oh, I'm just watching, you know, my computer. You can feel like you're watching actual commentary on TV. And if last backstage is any judge, 
We're the best commentary anywhere. We will be the best commentary on your TV. So uh, you want to get that 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code ELECTION when you sign up today at dailywire.com. One thing that's kind of amusing to me anyway, is that when you create this world of disinformation the left has created, you're stuck in it, too. You know, you're, you don't know what to believe at, at all. So even the left doesn't know what to believe uh, in the polls, these polls that come out saying, oh, you know, Biden's ahead 17 in Wisconsin. And then you go to Wisconsin and there's it's like Trump flags as far as the eye can see. And you're going like. Uh, you know, which I'm sorry, which is the op and which is reality? David Axelrod, a political consultant for the left, uh, says the left is going crazy. This is cut three. I think if I uh, if I could uh, have charged for therapy in the last few weeks, I could have made a fortune uh, just trying to calm people down. Uh, Democrats that I know who are looking at these polls and simply refuse to believe them. Uh, because of what happened in 2016. Well, as you pointed out at the top, this isn't 2016. We have an embattled president with a 42% approval rating who is denying a pandemic that is engulfing this country, and particularly those states that he most needs to win. It is an insane strategy, but it is the one that he apparently is following. First of all, Ras Muslim has a 52% approval rating which is interesting, and they've been accurate. They're, they poll more Republicans. Newt Gingrich, you know, he may just be talking, who knows, but Newt Gingrich thinks this is all going the other way. It's cut four. He has a better likelihood than he did at this stage in 2016 when he was clearly behind and closing rapidly. Um, the people I trust the most, the pollsters who've been the most accurate over the last five or six years, who seem to understand the dynamics of the age of Trump, uh, I saw today the first Electoral College map that made sense to me, and it showed Trump at 326 electoral votes plus. Uh, and I think that that's probably about right. Uh, I think the left is going to be terribly shocked. That would be, fa- I mean, aside from the fact that I'd be celebrating, that would be fascinating because uh, it would mean that the polls were incredibly out of touch with reality. It would take them years to claw back and have any kind of um, respectability or credibility. Again, you know, this is why, you know, I I brought on guests here that I know a lot of you guys uh, disagree with. I had Henry Olson on who thinks that Trump is toast. And everybody got really angry at me. Jonah Goldberg, who is a, kind of a he says he's not a never Trumper, but he's kind of a never Trumper. And he he talked about I let him talk about his, you know, I wasn't shouting at him. I let him say what he had to say. I respect Jonah. I respect his conscience. I respect that he's doing what he thinks is right. And you get angry at me. But the thing is, if you only listen to people you agree with, you never move off the dime. There's never any time when you say, oh, you know what? I hate this guy, but he just made a good point. I have to reconsider. That is how you get smarter. That's how you get wiser. If you're just listening to people like The New York Times, who not only lie, but then lie about the fact that they lie. How are you ever going to learn? And, you know, how, if, if you just come, I'm, listen, there are shows on TV, political commentary on TV, where I agree with every word they say, and I just never watch them. 
because I already feel that way. I want to watch somebody who's going to disagree with me, somebody I respect. I don't want to just watch. I'm not going to watch CNN, obviously, but I mean, I want to watch. I, I like it when Brett Baer has on commentators from the left and they t- take another attack. If I respect them, I have to think about what they say. This is important stuff. The left wants to create this world of disinformation, and now they find themselves living in it. You know, there's these riots going on in Philadelphia because the police and what looked to me like a perfectly good action uh, shot a guy with a record coming at them with a knife. This is a guy who'd been in charge of putting a gun in a woman's face. He'd been charged of punching a police officer. He's been convicted of things. He was coming at them with a knife. They had the gun on them. They identified themselves. They're wearing uniforms. They shouted at him, drop the knife. He didn't chop the knife. They shot them. Now uh, Philadelphia is being torn to shreds. It's being another one of these riots. Eric Lipton, and who identifies himself as an investigative reporter for the New York Times, says he covers Trump without fear or favor. Ha, 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 ha. He says... I'm watching my Twitter feed since last night. It's very notable the intensity of tweets from conservative voices looking to amplify, draw attention to looting in Philadelphia. Yes, it happened. New York Times covered it as well. Just remarkable how conservatives want to elevate it. Well, it's been happening across the country for months. It has been happening in very soon. It's a big story. It was a big story when you were covering it for Obama and you thought it gave credence to Obama's uh, lies that the police were killing black people, those lies that you've been pushing ever since. You know, the, this is this cone of disinformation that we're in. Here's the governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf. I'm uh, and my staff in, have been in constant communication since last night uh, with the folks in Philadelphia. Uh, and the hope is that that doesn't escalate into anything uh, more than, than the peaceful protests that, that uh, I think this kind of situation brings out. <laughs> the peaceful protest. Here are the rioters. Let's let's have, have a clip of the rioters chasing Jews down the street. Cut 23. Yo, Get the Get the out here. Get the trash, The synagogue of Satan, you're demonic. Must be the Jew small print again. Jew small, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's mostly peaceful because most of the people in Philadelphia are not Jews. So if you're only attacking the Jews, you're mostly peaceful. I, I think that must be the logic of Tom Wolf, governor of Pennsylvania. That, this cloud, uh, this cloud of disinformation from the left that they insist upon, that they even argue for, that they even think is the right thing to do. I mean, they when they are saying when they saying we got to get rid of the First Amendment, that w- what they mean is that people are saying things that to them are disinformation because they are getting in the way of their disinformation. You know, if to call these riots, to say these riots are not mostly peaceful when most of the time, you know, most of the hours in the day, they're not looting stores. They're not chasing Jews. They're not burning buildings. So isn't it isn't that mostly peaceful? Isn't it disinformation to say these are violent riots? You know, that's that's the kind of logic we're dealing with. And and of course, these riots are their fault. These riots are built up by them. It started with Obama. When Obama took office, race relations in this country were much better than when he left office. And it was because of him and it was because he used race relations. He he played the race card because his policies 
weren't working. That is what he did when his policies wouldn't work, didn't work, and they didn't work in the Middle East. They didn't work at home. They didn't work for the economy. He played the race card and started to gin up hostility in this this false narrative that the police are picking on black people. Black people the, in poor black neighborhoods, crime is very high, disproportionately high to the number of people, uh, number of black people in the country incredibly high when compared to the rest. I think it's uh, black males who are 7% of the country are committing 50% of the homicides. That's why the police are going to have more interactions with them. Why that's happening is a great subject for debate, but just to declare that it's racism, it's because of racism, doesn't get anywhere one anywhere. Dan Henninger, who is a uh, columnist uh, for the Wall Street Journal, writes a piece about Joe Biden and how Joe Biden is not gonna bring peace in our time. But he talks about the resistance that emerged after Trump. And he says an ideological movement that emerged in January 2017 is the anti-Trump resistance led by Nancy Pelosi, the New York Times 1619 Project and various social media platforms ended up in the streets as a grim mass insurrection amid shattered glass, burning buildings and toppled or defaced monuments to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Tutored in anti-capitalist pieties, younger Democrats convinced themselves the local shop owner was as guilty as the statue in the town square. This grew up out of Democrat and leftist philosophy. It didn't just start on its own. So when you hear Joe Biden talk like this, cut 22. There is no excuse whatsoever for the looting and the violence. None whatsoever. I think to be able to protest is totally legitimate. It's totally reasonable. But I think that the looting is just, as, as the victim's father said, do not do this. It's not what my son, you, you're not helping. You're hurting. You're not helping my son. How many times does that guy have to lie to you before you stop believing him? All right. The Clavenless weekend is about to come and Halloween will be in it. So it will be doubly terrifying. Uh, you know, I, I think back on Halloween, I have a my, my one, you know, I've never seen a ghost. I have traveled around. When I lived in England, my daughter and I would go ghost hunting. We would stay in uh, haunted hotels and we would wake up at midnight and travel around the hotel with flashlights and see if we could find a ghost. I've never seen anything, anything like a ghost. I once thought that my dog, uh, the day she died, I thought she actually came back and said goodbye, but I've never seen anything. And I'm such a skeptic about these things. But I will tell you the one of the scariest things that ever happened to me. Absolutely true story. I used to live in a little cottage, a little kind of downstate New York, kind of upstate, downstate New York, and uh, just in the middle of absolutely nowhere on a, a horse farm. Yeah, play the scary mu music again. And a across the road in a cottage set way, way back in a field was a guy who became one of the best friends I ever had. He was like a brother to me, and he, he became a famous uh, writer too. He, his name uh, was George Green. Uh, he's written bestsellers, and he started The Moth. Uh, I don't think he, I didn't ask his permission, but he, he's a great guy, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind my uh, telling him about this. And George and I were both young, starving writers, and we're both striving writers, and we really hit, and George is one of the best writers I've ever met. He is one of the very, very few writers that I think is a, of, of a quality that I respect. He is just a spectacular writer, and so I loved knowing him, and I loved talking to him, and he was nuts. <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way. He was an eccentric, crazy guy, and he used to dress up on Halloween in a monk's outfit and with this, like, white uh, white makeup on and he would show up. I had a picture window on my little tiny cottage and I would turn around, there'd be George with this monk's outfit and his white makeup on. And one day he invited me and the lady, uh, Ellen, who would become my wife, 
Uh, but I was just living with her then, and they invited us over for a game of murder. And I don't know if you know how to play murder, but when you play murder, you deal out cards, and whoever gets the ace becomes the murderer, but he doesn't tell anybody, so nobody knows who the murderer is. And then you turn out all the lights, and out there in the country, when you turn out the lights, it's pitch black. There, You can't see a thing. And then you wander around in this little, he had this kind of little farmhouse, and you wandered around in this farmhouse, and the murderer would come and find you, and he'd grab you suddenly out of the dark, and he'd say, you're dead, and then you'd have to uh, sit down in a corner somewhere. And finally, when one of the people who was not the murderer stumbled over a body, the person would then have to scream like a girl in a horror movie, ah, like that, and then the game was over, and then you had to investigate and try and find out who of the people who was still standing, who was the guy holding the ace, and who was the murderer. So he had a party over, and I don't know, say, let's say it was 10 people, and we all sat around before we played, and we're sitting around having a conversation, and we're talking, and it becomes very clear that one of the ladies in this gathering is absolutely insane, a complete psychopath. So we would be uh, talking about literature or the news of the day, and she would suddenly go, I saw an autopsy once, and they opened the body, and inside, there were snakes. <laughs> she was really like this. And we go, oh, that's that's interesting, you know, that's really interesting. <laughs> and she kept talking. And I'm starting to think, I don't want the lights to go out with this woman, because everything she said was violent. Everything, you know, like she would say, like, you know, we'd be talking about this, you'd go back and talk about this, and she'd say, I have a knife. I like to play with the knife. I love to play with it. And like, you go, don't turn, let's not, let's not play murder. But you know, I'm like in my 20s, there's no way I'm gonna like chicken out here. So I think all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna keep close to my girl and I'm gonna make sure she doesn't wander off in case this woman is actually as violent as I think she probably is. She's absolute psychopath. So the game comes, we deal out the cards. Nobody knows who the murderer is. They turn out the lights and it is pitch black and I lost Ellen in a second. She was gone immediately. I couldn't find her. I was going to stay close to her just to protect her. Maybe she, hopefully that she'd protect me. <laughs> and I'm just lost in the absolute dark. And I'm, I know this woman is wandering around somewhere and I just think like this woman is going to kill. This is, this is actually going to be a game of murder. And I'm walking around and suddenly a hand shoots out of the dark and grabs me and it's George and he says, you're dead and he's the murderer. And I think, well, at least I get to sit down somewhere. So I sit down against the wall and I, there's nothing I can do. Those are the rules of the game. And I'm just sitting there and I can't see anything. It's just pitch black. And it goes on and on and I'm, I'm holding my breath because I just want the lights to come on so I can see where this crazy, crazy woman is. And finally, out of the dark, there comes a shriek, just a, just a real horror movie shriek. And I, I like sat up where I am against the wall thinking, oh my God, this has really happened. This, is, this has actually become a murder story. This crazy woman has killed someone. And with the shriek, all the lights came on and she was sitting right next to me. She was sitting one inch away, smiling at me with these glassy, crazy eyes. It was one of the scariest things that ever happened. Have a happy Halloween. If you survive the Clavenless weekend, we will be back here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. 
Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.